3: Just to go back to a a text coming in for Dublin Marge, who says the argument for Michael Jordan is six championships. Well, then Michael Jordan, in your mind, gets trumped by Bill Russell, who has 11. So there you go. So Michael Jordan isn't even your pick if you're counting championships as the X marks the spot of who is the greatest basketball player of all time. To me, I, I'm, I'm not using, if they didn't win a title, as many titles as everyone, as, as the standard bearer for a conversation of pure basketball excellence. I just, I don't think that that makes any sense. It could be a starting point,
4: as long as you accept the fact that Bruce Bowen can't be on the list, because he's won, won a ton of rings. What but about Steve, Robert Ory, right? Yeah, I mean, Steve Kerr couldn't be on the list by any rational measuring.
3: Greatest basketball player of all time.
4: The reason why Bill Russell gets to be argued about is because he not only defined a pivotal era in the history of the game, he is, and I think it's fair to say, to this day, he is quite possibly the greatest defensive player the game has ever seen
3: maybe the counter argument is he was playing uh, against a handful of truly great players who were his equals and he was also playing against guys who were butchers and off duty you know whatever they were when you know they, 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 he, he was playing a league that was not uh, truly excellent up and down the way that it is today.
4: Well, the league is not truly excellent up and down now either. I mean, if you're, I mean, he played at a time when the best player in every team was essentially the center. And he dominated, quite possibly, the, great, the
3: most dominant force in the history of the game, and Will Chamberlain. Very impressive. So I, I mean, wonder if Shea Gilgis Alexander, had we plucked him from now and put him in the past, if he isn't regarded as one of the 10 greatest players of that era full stop you know i mean that's the difference maybe of who he was playing but, against and who just shea gilgis alexander is.
4: but you don't know but you don't know what didn't happen you know what did happen and that's why i don't ever look at this as who's the best player of all time i like the players of eras who was the guy who defined an era and the league's now been operating for almost 80 years and you've got six guys that's plenty of praise for anybody. But there were eight teams, right? I mean, he's playing like but eight it, teams. Okay, but he played every team that there there was available to him. And he played every night. God bless him. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that too. I mean, it just it's. I'm not making an argument that he is clearly better than LeBron James. I'm saying that the argument can't be settled.
3: We began today talking about the fact that the 49ers are in a moment in time. And that moment in time probably starts to close a little bit in terms of winning a championship just based on the reality of career ticking clocks. Like, do you imagine the 49ers will be closer to winning a championship with or without Trent Williams? If you want to say it's with, then he's 35 years old. You don't have much time remaining. George Kittle has been hurt in the past, and he's about to turn 30 in October. He's played 82 career games. Does he have 42 games left in his body? Does he have half of his career remaining as the future of his career still in front of him? That gives him two more full seasons, basically, for the 49ers, if you're agreeing. Yes. Christian McCaffrey. Probably the oldest 27-year-old in football, just in terms of hits on his body. That would make Debo Samuel the second oldest 27-year-old in football. And he's only been able to get through one full season to this point in his life. As I was talking about with Ray, and he says it's really only one year. You can't look further down the road in one year, and I'm not going to argue with that, but I'm just going to give out the timeline of two years. Like, to me, Kyle Shanahan and company have a legitimate two-year window to be considered a Super Bowl favorite coming out of the NFC. That it'd be hard to just dismiss with an argument. I think the argument for them to win a Super Bowl increases if Tom Brady can somehow come into the fold. We were talking about this. Brian Baldinger spoke about this on the morning show when he actually said he didn't think Tom Brady would be the right solution for the 49ers. Here's Brian Baldinger. Well, you know, when when it was just eight teams standing going into the divisional round, <clears throat> the oldest quarterback of the eight teams was Dak Prescott at twenty nine. It's a young man's game. And mm. I'm not here to knock Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady if they want to keep playing. Keep playing. But I I don't want to I just don't want to build my team with a forty or a forty-six year old quarterback. Like I just don't. I don't care if it's a one year rental. Like I, I, I want to sustain excellence. You know, they got Joe Montana, you know, at the Notre Dame in 79. They got Steve Young. Like, they built it the right way with those teams, with a young quarterback. Like, built, whether it's Trey Lance or whether it's Brock Purdy or it's somebody else. Like, give me a, young, a younger quarterback that I can, I, I know I'm going to have him for the next five years. Mm. This, and I love Baldy, this isn't about the next five years. This isn't about anything other than winning a Super Bowl in 2023. And that's the way I believe they have to go to work. Is it narrow-minded? Is it narrow-focused? Yeah, maybe it is. But that, to me, is the only level of focus that I think really applies to the 49ers' immediate future. It's win a Super Bowl and do it next year. And move heaven and earth and beg, borrow, steal, kill, whatever you need to do to get there. I think they need to do it. I think that this is the time to do it right here, right now. And he's talking about, you know, how do you sustain excellence? They're sustaining a level of excellence excellence right now. The ask for Kyle Shanahan is about to be, get to your fourth NFC title game in five years. Four NFC title games in five years is a standard of excellence that is hard to argue with. If all you understand is they didn't win a Super Bowl, therefore they didn't do excellence i'm sorry that just is not how this works that is pie in the sky goofy level of fandom that only understands who breaks the finish line first and only one team had a good year and 31 other teams were failures that is some serious black and white way to just look at everything and i don't think the 49ers can look at it like that here they are this is their moment it is ahead of them and whatever egos need to be put aside or control issues need to be put aside, I don't know if there's a team that would represent a better chance to win a Super Bowl than Tom Brady getting under center for one year with this team as it's currently constructed. Who would you trust to complete more 6-12 to 12 yard passes to a bevy of catch-and-run wide receivers, catch-and-run running backs and exploiting tight end mismatches. That's literally what Tom Brady has done in his career better than any other quarterback that's ever played. And there's no evidence based on last year's season in Tampa which we admitted was one-sided. I mean, it's easy to stop defenses when they become one-dimensional. Ask the Niners in the NFC title game. It was probably easier to defend the Brady pass when you knew it was coming about 733 times, you will not be asked to throw 733 passes with the 49ers. You can get that number down to about 550. Oh, less than that. Again, it's Tom Brady. Maybe you cut him loose a little bit. But, I mean, that's that's a ridiculous amount of dump-off passes in the flats to Christian McCaffrey, to Debo Samuel, and uh, Kyle Yuzchek. Again, he's getting 31. He's, he's not getting any younger. Uh, to me, yeah. I, it makes an awful lot of sense to think about it. Oh, no, I,
4: I think they're thinking about it. I don't think that's... They haven't taken that off the table. Um, I mean, look, who's kicked more tires on more concepts in six years than Kyle Shanahan? You know, who's the guy who tried to fire and then brought back Jimmy Garoppolo and thrived with him? I mean, he's open-minded to a wider degree i think than almost any other coach general manager in the game i just you know where i stop is if he didn't like him at 42 why would he like him that much more at 46 and that's a that's a bridge i i i need to see him
3: leap because i don't think he'll do it tony and hayward before we get to peter king in just a little bit here hello tony Hey, you guys! Hey, I just want to say, by the way, before before I comment on uh, on, on the game and on football, so you guys,
4: show is so awesome. You have no idea how how many of us look forward to three o'clock. It
3: really is a great part of our day to listen to you guys. Anyway, thank um, you. Yeah, you know, Ray we just kind thank of maintain this, this this excellence like you are talking about, and we just have to stay there, right at the cusp, and just let some luck go our way.
4: You know, we're right there. I think we have a we
3: have a great uh, stable of quarterbacks to work with. Just, just keep on going with this, you know? And, and stick with with with, uh, with Brock Purdy, I think. I mean, look, th- th- here's the deal. If Brock Purdy really is the second coming of Tom Brady, if that's the guy who, who who he really is about to be, then yeah. But I just don't think there is a guarantee there. The elbow now officially makes me a little nervous. And I think it's got to make a team that very much believed in him a little hesitant to just say yeah yeah." the entire roster hinges on Brock Purdy's sophomore year or a third year where all the lights in the building come on for Trey Lance magically even though he hardly plays any football just magically happened maybe it can maybe it could I wouldn't be comfortable taking that risk if I were Jed York, if I were Kyle Shanahan. I'd say it's time. It's time to win the Super Bowl. I don't care who needs to swallow any amount of pride or control or desire. And somebody says, Brady has no legs, please. You're not asking him to run. You're you're not. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't asked to really run. Uh, Brock Purdy wasn't really asked to run. What he has is the fastest release time in football, basically history. And again, who guarantees more? That was an easy completion on six and twelve yard routes. That's what we're talking about. We're just—it's all underneath. Tom, you're not looking to throw the ball forty-five yards downfield to a hopefully he's open Mike Evans. The entire offense takes place in a twenty-yard box. The whole thing—that's all. That's all you need to do, Tom. It's complete nothing but intermediate to short passes to an assembled roster of more catch and go talent than maybe any other team actually has that to me would be an opportunity that i would look at the raiders and just say i don't care if you got more money for me i'm gonna go play for the 49ers i would look at the titans and i would say "Ah, yeah you know it's it's a nice team it's a team that i like but i think you got a better chance of getting to a Super Bowl in the NFC if you're Tom Brady than you do going over to young stud quarterback central that is the AFC. Just worry about that should you actually reach the Super Bowl. So that's kind of the bet I'd be making if I were Brady, plus coming home. Plus, we all know we, you know, he's always wanted to sort of be a niner in a weird way, if that's true. Oh, uh, this would be a weird way. This would be a very weird way. But it'd be a weird way to go into next year knowing you got a football team this good with year seven of we sure do hope it goes well from a quarterbacking standpoint. we got a a lot of stuff to get into, obviously, with Peter King when he joins us here, including two very significant coaching hires. One directly affecting the San Francisco 49ers, D'Amico Ryan, has a six-year deal to be the next head coach of the Houston Texans. You would assume that based on their turnstile philosophy and coaching the last few years, he is guaranteed to have a little bit more time because patience need be applied to the Houston Texans to correct whatever the hell is wrong with them. And the Denver Broncos have officially traded a first-round pick and a second-round pick to the New Orleans Saints for the right to negotiate with Sean Payton and a second-round pick. So, all of a sudden... Two head coach openings have been filled here in the NFL, leaving what? What's what's open now, right? What do we got? We got the Panthers. Oh no, no wait a minute. Frank Reich. Frank Reich was hired you by the Arizona. Panthers, even though we had David Tepper, who owns the Panthers, saying he's here to break up the old boy network. I'm here to break up the old boy network.
4: By hiring all the
3: old boys he can find. By hiring a white guy. That would be like saying, I'm here to serve spaghetti and serving chicken chow mein. It's not the same. No, it's not. this. <laughs> he, was, he
4: tried to get away with this by pointing to the people on the hiring committee of which there were two uh, black women. And I think that's admirable, but that's not what people were talking about no it's not what we're talking you about. don't get to take credit for being diverse when you fire your black coach who actually did very well with a very limited roster and then hiring him and then
3: replacing him with a white guy who had who's, who's had jobs before and and by the way steve wilkes is now going to get an interview with the 49ers who have a defensive coordinator hired to make. Vic Fangio, to me, sounds like a really gosh darn good idea. And here's another great idea. Saying hello to Peter King on the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. And obviously, before we get to today's news and forward thinking for the 49ers and what this offseason needs to look like, what the wish list could possibly be, I would like your autopsy on an NFC title game. I think, you know, we all know that the patient died on the operating table for the 49ers. At what point in time did you call it?
5: Uh, I mean, to think that Josh Johnson is going to be able to win a football game after not playing for a hundred years was probably a little bit too much. I mean, good for, Christian McCaffrey, he seemed to make it a game 20 minutes into it or so. And, I mean, the amazing thing was, you know, midway through the second quarter, this was still a game somehow. But you just knew that the dam was going to break at some point if Brock Purdy couldn't go back in. And look, the most important single player in this game was Brock Purdy. How bizarre that sounds in the NFC Championship game that the guy who was picked last in the draft this year. Um, you know, it's like you have a pickup game for kickball on the uh, on the playground. You have 20 people to choose from, and the 20th person, uh, 20th kid who gets picked ends up, you know, the most important player. How does that happen? I have no idea how it happens, but that's how it, what happened in this case. When he went out, it was over. I think the amazing thing is, right now, when you think about it, Shanahan slash Lynch... Um, you know, has been atop this football team for six years and provided quite a lot of compelling, fun, incredible moments. And they've done it with the weirdest quarterback situation of any team in the last six years, by far. It's not even close that there's no team, I bet, in a six-year period that has had the number one quarterback hurt as often as this team has. And it's amazing when you think about it, first of all, that with the third-string quarterback, they are in the championship game at all. Okay, that's number one. And number two, for 15 minutes after, they're, you know, the ace in the hole gets hurt. They're still in the game. It, it's kind of a tribute to the way the roster was built. But on the other hand, I would find a little fault with the Forty ers for basically saying, "Is Josh Johnson the best we can do?" I was thinking about it today, and I was thinking about in the last six weeks, what they have done differently. I'll just ask this question. And I and I don't even know whether the timing on this really syncs up, but would you rather have come in that game, you know, at the time of desperation, Josh Johnson or Joshua Dobbs, who ended up playing decently for uh, for Tennessee after Ryan Tannehill went down? And look, I'm not. It almost certainly wouldn't have made the difference, but. <clears throat> If I were the 49ers, I'd be asking myself, ourselves, was Josh Johnson the best we can do? And even if it was the best we could do, don't you think maybe we should have tried to, uh, you know, not only do a little better than him, if humanly possible to do, but also just to get another guy in there, you know, to, to uh, you know, even to have a chance to be on the roster down the stretch. But again, it probably all is futile once you lose Brock Purdy.
4: Um, given <coughs> the nature of how the 49er quarterback position has gone over the last four to six years, have you heard from anybody, and I'm not asking you for your opinion, but have you heard from anybody a credible explanation other than sheer bad luck As to why it seems to happen here More places than other
5: Well Jimmy Garoppolo For whatever reason Is injury prone And so that's A lot of it And look Mark Purdy I don't Think and we'd have to go back And check but this is a guy Who played 48 games in 4 years In the Big 12 So I don't think he was hurt much if at all In college football And he comes into the NFL and gets a fairly fluky injury. So, I don't, Ray, I I mean, you hate to blame it all on coincidence, and I'm not sure that it should all be blamed on coincidence. But I I don't know what to do uh, other than, you know, at least, like, if I were the 49ers right now, no matter what happens, early in this offseason, whatever. I think you just have to shake hands with Jimmy Garoppolo and wish him the best. It's time to go. It's time to move on. Everybody knows that. Um, and, And you do one of two things going forward. You either say, send Trey Lance and Brock Purdy into training camp, may the best quarterback win, even though you probably think that it's going to be uh, Brock Purdy or you invite Tom Brady into the party and or someone else whoever that other person is. The only thing is I would not invite anybody, I would not try to sign anybody who had a significant injury history before this year because it's just you know uh, seen that movie too many times
3: already. Peter King here on Damon and Ratto. Well, again, you you brought up Tom Brady before we even had the chance to ask you about it because he's someone that Ray and I have been talking about since we came on the air today at three o'clock. Uh, Brady at the age of forty five, throwing seven hundred and thirty three passes. Doesn't sound nearly as optimal to me as Brady at the age of 46, throwing about 550 next year for the 49ers. That would be 34 passes a game if he were used like Brock Purdy. And let's be completely honest, he's Tom Brady. And and at some point, age obviously catches up with him, but I don't know if it has yet. And he's asked to play a much different game in San Francisco than he was in Tampa, where the entire offense takes place in a 20-yard box. Who's better to hit Christian McCaffrey, Debo, and Kittle on short to intermediate routes than the guy who probably threw to catch-and-one, run wide receivers, backfield running backs, and 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 tight ends than than Tom Brady? To me, there is no perfect. Find me a better solution than a motivated-to-be-home Tom Brady with finally a year away from his personal issues Like, it it makes a lot of sense to me. And it's the one thing that I think, Peter, gives the 49ers the best chance to be hosting the NFC title game next year. And that should be the target they're shooting at.
4: Yeah,
5: I'm not. I don't know whether, you know, whether they would. I I don't know how Brady is going to play. At some point, he's a 46 year old guy. you know, yes, supremely motivated, everything like that if I were the 49ers, that's probably what I'd do and the reason why my gut feeling is that they're at least going to look into it is I think there were some inside the organization in 2020 who had buyer's remorse for not going hard after him when he went to Tampa Uh, and that's even before he won the Super Bowl there so you know it makes a lot of sense for them to look into Tom Brady I don't think they would be looking at Brady as any sort of to me he's almost a one year scotch tape job you know And and plus the reason why I think that it does make a lot of sense for San Francisco is that whoever your quarterback is going to be going forward, whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's Brock Purdy, how fantastic would it be if they had a mentor slash tutor on the roster like Tom Brady, who they can, uh, you know, there, there isn't, there wouldn't be a better person to learn from. There wouldn't be a better person for them to be around for a while. Hey, look, you know, you hear all sorts of stuff. You hear uh, Aaron Dobbs say he never once saw uh, Aaron Rodgers outside the building. You know, that, that you, Tom Brady is going to be the kind of guy, and I'm not saying he's going to invite, you know, Brock Purdy and Trey Lance over for dinner every night. I, I, I don't mean that, but I do think that Brady would be the guy who would leave, let's say he only, you know, stayed there for 10 months, okay? He would leave that place in significantly better shape than when he arrived. Could
3: you imagine for a second the off-season workout program (laughs) at Sarah High School? I mean, (laughs) who, who, who doesn't report for that? You might even have the entire defense show up for that one.
5: Yeah, I mean, what would happen for sure is... Look, I think just my gut feeling, if Brady does decide to come back, uh, he he will be as dedicated and interested and motivated to, you know, work with Tom House and Adam Dato, the the guys he's been working with in the offseason, you know, he'd be... He'd work with them a lot. He would make absolutely unequivocally, he'd be positive to have a great chemistry and a great understanding of who Debo Samuel is before they ever step foot in training camp. But look, I mean, we can talk about this all we want. They clearly uh, are, are, if they were smart, would bring in a veteran who has been durable um, to add to the quarterback mix here because, and look, one of the other reasons that uh, that I think Brady would be good is that he would understand because he watches football, he's preparing for life after football, so I'm positive he's watched every game, either all or, or most of game that Brock Purdy has played, he knows that Brock Purdy can do this. And so if at some point they're three and five and they're really struggling and Shanahan says, hey, Tom, I'm putting Purdy in, uh, no offense, or whatever, whatever he does, Brady will be ticked off, but he'll understand because he will know that Brock Purdy is a good player. And so I can't see much of a downside but you know the one other thing that we aren't even thinking of yet is this would have to be a situation where Brady truly wants to play. We don't know that yet. Uh, and then there would be the the, the situation of family his children have either lived in New York or Florida. Um, you know they'd be in, they'd have been in school there they'd ever, so there's that issue. And I think Brady is a lot more cognizant of that than maybe he has been at times in his past. So we'll see how all that plays out.
4: In your conversations with Kyle Shanahan over the years, has he ever given you a definitive reason why he wasn't interested in Brady back in the day and what would have changed if suddenly he were interested in him now?
5: I don't think that they... I think they felt that they were going to be okay at quarterback in 2020, you know? And now, what What has changed now, three years later? They're not okay at quarterback. They got one guy who's going to be out for six months. They got another guy who they have no idea if he's any good because they haven't seen it yet. And they have a defense that's ready to win absolutely right now. That's what's changed. You know, the change is the perceived bigger need at quarterback than there was in March of 2020, and uh, just the fact that this is a just add quarterback team and you can win now.
3: Peter King on the Butt Like Guest Line, who is sitting? In a better position right now in your own mind, Sean Payton with the task to deconstruct what is wrong with the Denver Broncos, or D'Amico Ryan to construct some actual success in Houston?
5: Um, I think Sean Payton's in a better situation. But, look, I wouldn't have touched the Houston job, uh, it, it, well... I don't know that I really trust Cal McNair or Nick Casario, honestly. I don't know if I trust what they said because they were going to give Lovey Smith longer than a year, the same way they were going to give David Cully longer than a year. They gave him each a year. And it just strikes me that, um, you know, they're obviously going to take a quarterback and figure out who's going to coach him. I don't know if it'll be Pep Hamilton. Uh, or somebody else. But they're going to take quarterback. How patient are they going to be? If they go 3-14 this year, and then they're lousy at midseason next year in the quarterback in 2024, and the quarterback is struggling, what assurance do you have that uh, they're going to give D'Amico Ryans enough time to truly turn this around? They haven't given their coaches enough time to turn it around. So, I guess I would look at it and say, first of all, I would be worried about the front office and ownership in Houston. Um, In Denver, they've got a very good defense right now. They have good, not great, but good offensive weapons right now. They have a left tackle in Garrett Bowles. And I haven't watched film with Sean Payton of... um, you know of Russell Wilson. I don't know what he thinks. Uh, I do know that Russell Wilson openly inside the organization wanted Sean Payton, and has been uh, has been very open with the fact that I will be coached. I can be coached. Um, and you can be tough on me because, look, Russell Wilson knows he's at the crossroads right now. So there's that advantage, and I think there's one other thing here. Sean Payton, maybe, I don't know how many coaches can come in there and tell Russell Wilson, look, you're not a privileged character anymore. All these privileges you had, the private office inside the building, the, you know, the private people coming in, the Whatever the trainers and the you know workout people and the video crew, what whoever there were, there's been all sorts of reports of how many people that Russell Wilson has had with him at home and on the road during the course of the year. Sean Payton is basically going to say, "Look, that's over." I I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say I, I guarantee it, but I'm almost positive that Sean Payton is going to say. Listen. It's important for you to be one of forty-five.
3: Right, new sheriff in town. You
5: cannot be a potentate anymore. Um, so, I think I think Denver is a, is the more advantageous job.
3: Turning to the defensive coordinator opening for Kyle Shanahan, how do you think they fill it?
5: I, I don't know. I I just I don't have any idea. I would think that Steve Wilkes is a very good candidate. He knows the division. Uh, having been in Arizona, he knows the NFC well. Uh, Fangio, he's a highly respected coach, so I think he's got to get a
3: good look. What do you think of Vic Fangio? Because yeah, I keep on be, hearing conflicting reports best. out of Miami. He'd be the best. He'd be absolutely the best guy.
5: I guess we'll know within 24 hours. Is he um, is he signed, sealed, and delivered to Miami? Or can Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch twist an arm? And, you know, I don't know the answer to that yet. But he clearly, far and away, would be the best guy to do this job. Uh,
4: Did you learn anything about either the Chiefs or the Eagles that you didn't know before the conference finals? Um...
5: I was in Kansas City, and um, I, I knew going into that game that obviously Patrick Mahomes uh, is as talented as a, is as talented a quarterback in all ways. Um, you know, throwing the ball, uh, keeping plays alive, throwing on the run, doing everything, running. He's as talented. A quarterback that I've ever seen. The one thing that the game convinced me on Sunday is his will is absolutely uh, there's not a player with uh, in the NFL today or that I have seen who has the will that he does. Um, And I wrote about it in my column. You know, you saw that when Jermaine Pratt was a free rusher going at uh, Mahomes on Sunday in this game. Mahomes was running to his left. He was not going to be able to outrun Jermaine Pratt. Uh, and So he had to turn quickly and throw it. He threw a bullet into the gut of uh, McCole Hardman. And you could see Jermaine Pratt was diving for him just at that moment. And Patrick Mahomes came up gimpy on that play. And uh, you could tell something significant happened to him on that play because he was limping badly. And luckily for Kansas City, it wasn't lucky, lucky that McCole Hardman, when I had was laying on the field and was hurt at that moment, but it was lucky that they had a minute and a half uh, so that uh, uh, you know Mahomes could gather himself. And he went to the sideline just very briefly. And the longtime trainer and confidant of Andy Reid, Rick Burkholder, went up to him and said, hey, you okay? And Mahomes, as I say in my, in my story on Monday, leave me alone, Mahomes hissed, because that's, that's what it was. I'm not coming out of the game, get away from me, is, is his, was basically what he was saying. And um, and he I, he willed his team to this win. So I knew about the talent. I knew everything. I knew what a great leader he was. Um, I learned about his a lot more about his will in this game on Sunday.
3: He might be the most tooled up quarterback of all time. There's, there's yeah. very little doubt about it. Peter, let's wrap with this. And we've got a couple minutes here. Uh, and I'm not asking for your final impression of the Super Bowl. We'll have another opportunity next week to get your, uh, your, your real thumbnail sketch of your final thoughts on the Super Bowl. What are your opening thoughts on Chiefs-Eagles?
5: I just think that Philadelphia's depth going into the week. I mean, Kansas City, not only is the quarterback hurt, but so many of his receivers are hurt going into that game. Uh, I was outside the locker room for about a half hour, waiting in between the celebration and everything, and I saw uh, a totally joyless uh, Juju Smith-Schuster limping, looking like he was Walter Brennan. Go on Wikipedia and look that up, kids. Um, But he just looked like he could barely move. Uh, so you know, Juju Smith Schuster is a guy who uh, you know is is really trusted by this team. Is he going to be in good good enough shape to play? Who's gonna Who's going to be the receivers in this game for Mahomes? That's number one. But number two, as great as Chris Jones was, and I think Chris Jones this year, although I voted for Nick Bosa for defensive player of the, defensive player of the year. I mean, Chris Jones. It was it was 100 to 98 or something. It was incredibly close, and Chris Jones was just great on Sunday. Will Chris Jones be able to be great going against the best offensive line in the NFL this year, and perhaps in the last few years? Uh, they have totally shut out, um, you know, the opposing pass rush. In the first two weeks of this of of the playoffs, so now um, Frank Clark and Chris Jones have to do some damage in this game. Can they? We'll see. Uh, Nobody has done damage against the Eagles in a big game all year.
3: Peter, thank you very very much. Appreciate your time as always.
5: All the best,
3: guys. Thank you. Peter King on the Bud Light guest line. Damon and Rattle, one more segment before we wrap this bad boy up. We're going to spend a little time talking about the Warriors, what they did last night, what they need to do the next couple of nights coming up as well. Meanwhile, we're brought to you by the SF Sheriff Office. Go to sfsheriff.com, apply today, and Damon and Rattle brought to you by calhope.org.
2: Selling a little or a lot. Oh, 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 oh,
3: Now, back to Damon and Rato on 95.7 The Game. Again, we're brought to you by Zenny, the official eyewear. The 49ers stop uh, shop, I should say, from over 3,000 styles at 80% off retail prices, exclusively at Zenni.com. And remember, all of our guests, including both today, Michael Irvin and Peter King, appear on the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. Uh, last night's Warriors game, certainly that first quarter, easy to enjoy. Clay Thompson. Knocking down some big shots, including a big dunk late. Easy to enjoy. Pass to Looney. Floats it on the wing. One dribble. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Now Thompson will take it with five to
5: shoot. Gotta go. Draymond's got it. They don't see the clock. Draymond back to Clay, who goes baseline
3: and dunked it. Wow. Draymond was great last night. Seven points, 12 assists, nine rebounds, and two steals. Curry... He not only finished with 38 points, 12 assists, 8 rebounds, and a block, he passed Wilt Chamberlain for most made field goals in franchise history. Curry catches, fake, puts it on the deck, drive again, scoop to the
5: hoop, it's up and good, and another unassailable record goes to number 30 as he passes Wilt Chamberlain and becomes the all-time leader in field goals in Warriors
3: history. Not too shabby. Neither was Clay dropping 28. He's getting consistent, Ray. A little bit more consistent than earlier. Uh, some big buckets last night. That baseline fadeaway was a huge bucket uh, late in that game last night. The Warriors opened up an 18 point lead after the first quarter. They held on to win by eight in Oklahoma City. And the Thunder ain't bad. They're getting better.
4: Um, what was interesting to me was the Warriors were tied for eighth at the beginning of the night, and they are now in fifth. It can happen that That's, easily. I mean, uh, and they're a game out of fourth. So, sounds like home court advantage to me, right? Well, it start. I mean, it's it's a good reminder that it's never time to panic before February, and it might not even be time to panic in February. It's if you believe your team at some point can figure out what it's supposed to do on a night-in, night-out basis. The first 50 games are are a gibby.
3: Well, here we are looking at the final 35 games of the year. That takes us back to the win over Memphis, a win over Toronto, and now a win on the road at Oklahoma City that makes the Warriors 3-0 so far in their final 35 games remaining on the year. And it's officially time to stack some wins. You got two tough games on the back-to-back later this week at Minnesota tomorrow, at Denver on Thursday. Steve Kerr, get them road wins. We've won four of our last six on the road. You know, you, you have to execute on the road down the stretch to win. You, you have to. You have no choice.
4: And I just think that you know, we're getting some key buckets at key times. Draymond made some brilliant plays down the stretch. Obviously, Steph and Clay made big shots. Jordan made a big st- shot late. Corner three, I thought, was maybe the biggest shot of the game. And we got some stops. We got enough stops. So
3: really, a really good effort from the guys. More than the stops, Ray, because you know Oklahoma City did put up a buck 20 again last night. But whenever that game was about to slip, From a five-point game to a three-point game or a two-point game, somebody hit a big three. Like Clay or Poole or Curry. At every instance, when the Warriors needed a bucket, they got that bucket, which is the difference probably in the game. Yeah, and now we'll
4: see who gets sat out tomorrow because it's a back-to-back on the road. And the second game is in Denver, which I presume is one they'd want.
3: So. Or do you say Minnesota is technically the more winnable game? Let's just push our chips in to the more winnable game and not white flag your trip to Denver, but say that is the more difficult task. Therefore, we're going to hedge our bets and go full bore in Minnesota and try to come back 2-1 on this three-gamer.
4: Well, I think that depends on how you how Steve Kerr actually feels about this team's mini heater that they're on. If he thinks it's sustainable, maybe he does sit out more guys against Minnesota. If, you know, he he could play it your way too, but I don't think... He's going to go full bore both nights.
3: Steph Curry on the back-to-back.
4: I usually campaign to play every game, so that's the uh, misconception about load management and how it goes. It's never the player that's usually saying, hey, I want to sit. So for all those people that are worried about uh, that part of our, our league and all that, it's usually not the player that's going to the training staff and saying, hey, I don't have it tonight. It's usually the other way around. And there's a lot of science involved. So, yes, I will campaign to play, but we'll see how it goes.
3: By the way... One of the things that we're going to get into tomorrow as we set up Warriors in Minnesota, we're going to have Warriors live from 4 to 4.30 tomorrow. Big responsibility between you and I, Ray, to get that pregame show in. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about load management and what the NBA can do to address what everyone admits is like a growing issue. How do you get around it? It is not an easy fix. By the way, Draymond Green, who played great last night, man, he was in sync. Uh, talked about how the team is officially starting to come together, figure it out. I think it's definitely starting to look more like our brand of basketball. Guys are starting to figure out their spots and roles and rotations and different things. I think we're definitely starting to figure it out. So, look. The Warriors have not been three games over five hundred all gosh darn year. And we will see if they can get to three games over five hundred with a win over the Minnesota Timberwolves tomorrow. They are looking at their third streak of three or more wins this entire season right now. So, again, I'd, I'd like to see them keep a good thing going, win four in a row. I freaking dare you in Minnesota. I, I would push all my chips into beating the Timberwolves and sort of letting fate determine what happened in Denver. Because nobody likes going to Denver. Nobody. No, nobody does like going to
4: Denver, but... If you decide to go all in and, De- and Minnesota's on a heater and then you've got nothing left for Denver, now you've lost the momentum you've been building. So, I mean, I, I we're probably just gas bagging anyway, but I think it's more about how they play, not absolutely what the result is. If they defend, they'll be all right,
3: but they have to defend. No gas bagging, the Oklahoma City Thunder? I would like to buy a little stock in Josh Giddey's future. That <laughs> <laughs> guy... He looks pretty damn good for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid out there, and Shea Gilgis Alexander has turned into, I, I think, everything he could have possibly hoped his career might look like at this point in Oklahoma City's competitive life cycle. He has accelerated their timeline a full season of development forward on his own merits. He's, he's spectacular.
4: Well, they, they have a guy now who they can basically say, okay, you're the alpha male. That's a piece. Make the young guys better. Yeah. Because they're going to have nothing but young guys for a long time. They've got about 7,000 draft picks in the last next five years. So I think they finally have found a tent pole around which they can
3: erect a tent. Muy muy interesante. There is no doubt about that. Let me tell you what's coming up on the game. Uh, brought to you by Fremont Bank. Right around the corner, it is Warriors Roundtable with our guy Kevin Dana and Gary Saint Jean. A full hour's of Warriors talk right around the corner. Ray and I will have a full hour on all the day's sports news tomorrow before we get into Warriors Live at 4.30 to get you out to Minnesota. And then two hours coming up on Thursday before we get into Warriors Live to get you out to Denver. In the meantime, thanks again to Peter King and Michael Irvin for today. For uh, all the guys on that side of the glass, Damon here for Ray on this side of the glass saying thanks so much for tuning in. And please do remember the following, that sports don't build character, they reveal it.